You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. As voters, we've been sold the idea that Democrats are the party of big spending and liberal economic policies, while Republicans are the party of limited government and fiscal conservatism. But is that really the case. Consider the recent long-term budget deal that's expected to increase defense and domestic spending by about $300 billion over two years. It would also raise the debt ceiling again. The Trump administration has also proposed other increases in spending that would increase spending by several trillion dollars over the next decade. You might say Trump is not your typical Republican, but our next guest says we're just seeing another conservative cycle play out in front of our eyes. Matthew Grossman is director of the Michigan State University Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He recently wrote an op-ed in the New York Times titled, Missing Conservatism? Just Wait for a Democratic President. It's an interesting look at the sort of yin and yang in American politics and how the things that we expect one party to do or the other to react to aren't always the things that they do or the way they react. Matt Grossman, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Good to be with you. Yeah, uh, I I loved this piece uh, uh, when I when I read it, and because I think it it sort of turns on its head uh, some of the notions we have about what the political parties stand for, what they mean, and how we interpret the things that they're doing, how we interpret the expectations, I guess, that we have for each of the parties. Um, c- can you talk about what what brought you to this thought at, at this time? I, I get the sense that the president and the Republican Congress uh, are, are, are part of what inspired this. Right. A lot of people have been questioning why there isn't uh, more of a conservative uh, revolt against uh, Donald Trump's uh, policies and against uh, the Republican Congress uh, reversing essentially the Tea Party's only uh, major policy uh, victory to restrict government spending. And what I tried to explain is that this is actually a fairly typical historical cycle uh, that conservatives tend to give new Republican presidents uh, a pass uh, in uh, advancing several uh, liberal uh, policy proposals alongside some conservative ones, and then tend to only react once we get a new uh, Democratic president. Uh, but that reaction is not entirely hypocritical because they then go back and reinterpret uh, the previous Republican president uh, as being insufficiently conservative uh, <laughs> and say that we, we just need to uh, bring in uh, people who really want to stick uh, to their principles. Yeah. Um, uh, to talk about what we're seeing uh, specifically with this president and this Congress and sort of how it fits into that historical cycle that you're that you're noting there? Well, I think uh, what uh, people should uh, recognize is that uh, this is a historically conservative policy record uh, so far, uh, passing one uh, major tax cut and no uh, new uh, extensions of, of government responsibility is is very rare. Usually, uh, even new Republican presidents uh, come in uh, with new things uh, that they want uh, the government to do, like prescription drug coverage uh, and education standards under George W. Bush, uh, and they accompany uh, things like tax cuts 
Democrats with this. Uh, and Donald Trump's record uh, has actually uh, been uh, quite uh, conservative when it comes to administrative uh, regulatory rollback and when it comes to a congressional record, uh, which might uh, look uh, minimal, uh, but is actually uh, historically quite conservative. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guest is Matt Grossman. He's director of Michigan State University's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He recently wrote an op-ed in the New York Times titled Missing Conservatism? Just Wait for a Democratic President. It is about the way in which uh, liberal and conservative ideals get interpreted when they get in front of Congress uh, and when they get into the White House. Uh, are they the same as what we expect from the parties or did the parties sort of change uh, the way that they govern and interpret policy uh, once they are in power? And what does that mean in the context of a Republican president in Donald Trump and a Republican Congress that seems to be embracing uh, lots of liberal policies, things that we would think of as liberal, profligate spending, growth of government, uh, those kind of things. If you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call and tell us what you think about the way that Republicans are relating to Donald Trump. Are they going back on their ideals? Are they turning their back on their ideals uh, and allowing this president, because he happens to be of the same party, to do things that they would never permit? Uh, a Democratic president to do. And if that's so, how will they explain that to voters? How will they explain that to voters this November uh, during the midterm elections? How will they explain that to voters in 2020 when uh, presumably President Trump will face re-election uh, or might face a challenge from a Republican uh, who says this isn't a conservative enough administration? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313 577 1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter, you can hashtag Detroit Today, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Matt, I want to read an excerpt from uh, your column and have you uh, expand on, on what you're saying here. He said, the cycle is born of the infeasibility of conservative goals, especially the American right's attempt to reverse the growth of the welfare and administrative state and its tendency to start unwinnable culture wars against inevitable change. The public shares conservatives' broad desire for limiting government growth and social upheaval, but that doesn't translate into support for specific policies to achieve those goals. If you sort of think about what you're saying there, it's sort of a twist of uh, ideals and practicality uh, and uh, a sort of gap, I guess, between those who are elected to represent us and the people who send them uh, into those positions of power. Right. Americans are of uh, split uh, positions uh, on uh, major uh, issues. They tend to endorse the broad goals of conservatives while also endorsing uh, the specific policies of uh, liberals. Uh, and uh, that means that uh, you can see a backlash uh, whenever there's an acceleration of uh, liberal policy, uh, like we saw uh, under the first two years of, of President Obama or President Clinton. Uh, but it means that when uh, conservatives uh, get in power, uh, they have a hard time coming up with policies to fulfill their vision uh, 
uh, that are popular uh, with the American public. Some of that's the international uh, norm. Uh, so uh, all over the world, uh, social changes uh, tend to be codified over time, but uh, tend to provide uh, uh, some uh, reason for a, a conservative uh, backlash, uh, and, and sort of liberals tend to win more culture wars over time. Uh, but some of it is unique to American conservatism. Most conservative parties in the world uh, don't uh, try to uh, reverse uh, the, the welfare state, don't try to undo uh, government uh, programs uh, and new regulations uh, in the way uh, that the American Republican Party does. Yeah. Uh, what is the, what's the pressure that Republicans then might face from voters given what they're, what they're doing now? I mean, let's look forward to November of this year when all of uh, the members of the House who are, who are Republican will, will have to face voters and many who are in the Senate will. How, how, do, they, how do they explain this to voters? Or do voters, or do voters just understand that uh, you know, it's not possible to always adhere to, to the principle that there are practical considerations that send politicians uh, in different directions? Well, there's usually more ground in the Republican Party than in the Democratic Party to make the argument that uh, their own leadership is failing them. Uh, it's fairly con consistent uh, that uh, the, the Democratic public uh, sort of is understands the, the need to, to give half a loaf to get something done because they're uh, prioritizing uh, some uh, action. Uh, so you just talked about this in, in reference to the immigration and, and gun control mm -hmm. uh, debate uh, where Democrats would like to see something. And so uh, they're, they're willing to, to try to make compromises or, or get uh, half measures. Uh, the Republican uh, base uh, doesn't uh, react like that. They uh, tend to see things directionally. Things are either moving in a liberal or conservative direction. Uh, and uh, if it, it looks like liberalism is advancing, uh, they're mad not only at the opposition party, uh, but at their own uh, party leadership. But it usually takes a, a while uh, for that uh, to develop. And it usually takes place in the context of a Democratic president rather than a Republican one. Yeah. Um, and when when you think about these things, these dynamics and the way they play out in in Washington, f for instance, uh, talk about the the long term governing uh, principles then that 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 are affected. In other words, uh, is it possible to get things done to actually move forward? As you point out, we were talking with uh, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell uh, in the in the first segment of the show about the difficulty in getting any sort of gun legislation passed. Uh, we didn't get to the immigration issue, but I think it's played out in a really similar way. Is there a paradigm here that that um, is there a paradigm here that that sort of thwarts good governance uh, because of this this political dynamic uh, that affects Republicans in particular, as you point out, uh, but but not as much Democrats. I think liberals uh, should should just try to understand uh, that um, the conservatives have a different, uh, not just a point of view, uh, but set of incentives, because uh, most new laws that pass expand the size and scope of government uh, or codify new social changes. So laws that pass are more likely to be liberal than conservative. So it is it's natural uh, that Republicans wouldn't be as concerned about 
let's maximize legislative productivity, pass as many things as we can, mm-hmm. uh, as, as liberals uh, would be. Uh, and I think liberals often believe that they, they are in favor of all these kinds of popular policy proposals, uh, and that is true. But it's also true that if we pass them all at once, uh, then there still would be a conservative backlash, <laughs> even though they're uh, individually popular. Uh, the public is still resistant uh, to uh, any sign that we're seeing a big acceleration in uh, the growth of, of government, in the Uh, a new uh, role for government and society, or in uh, accelerating social change. Uh, So even though they support the goals of uh, liberals, uh, if enacted altogether, uh, they can still produce uh, a conservative backlash. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Matt Grossman, director of Michigan State University's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019. What do you think of the pendulum swinging in Washington? Uh, Will it stop feeling like a wild ride, or are we in a permanent state of politics? Do you think we can get to a spirit of bipartisanship that will actually get things done? And what does Donald Trump mean to the Republican majority, to the Republican Party going into the future. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Matt Grossman. He's director of Michigan State University's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. He recently wrote an op-ed in the New York Times titled, Missing Conservatism? Just Wait for a Democratic President, about the dynamic of liberal policy and politics inspiring conservative backlash. Is that something that we're seeing right now with uh, Donald Trump and the Republican Party? Are we seeing a disconnect between Donald Trump, who uh, has uh, pushed forward on a number of things that seem not conservative, uh, and the Republican majority in Congress, which ran on conservative ideals, but has not stand is not standing up to the president to hold them to those ideals. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. What do you think about this yo-yoing back between uh, back and forth between liberal and conservative policymaking in Washington? What do you think about the effect it has on governance, on getting things done, on moving to new governance spaces on issues like gun control or immigration. Uh, Also, Colin, tell us what you think Donald Trump means to the Republican Party, the ways in which he has changed uh, the very idea of being a Republican. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will work you into the conversation. Uh, Matt, I, I want to ask you about Trump as an ideologue, sort of of his own design, the idea that he only really cares what his base thinks of him. His behavior suggests that his actions are about making people like him. Uh, and that's not, uh, it may not even be reflective of his personal ideals, but it's also not tied to 
Republican ideals necessarily. It's 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 a very individually driven agenda, and I'm not sure that we've seen that and the way it sort of interacts with uh, the political infrastructure in Washington, uh, at least in a very long time. Right. Donald Trump is is certainly not a policy wonk uh, and uh, not uh, consistent uh, in his uh, specific uh, policy positions. Um, It's hard to think of very many policy areas where he's uh, maintained uh, consistent positions and not uh, at least entertained uh, the ideas of, of the other side. But I think what people expected from that last year was that we were going to see some kind of a heterodox administration, which would uh, try a whole bunch of different uh, things or or change the party's positions on issues. And I don't really think uh, that that has happened. I think instead, if you put a person uh, who isn't uh, very uh, versed in policy, and that's not their main priority, uh, in the midst of a party uh, and an administration with a lot of uh, strong conservatives, uh, then what you get is is mostly conservative policy. Uh, we saw that recently in the in the immigration debate, where Donald Trump himself appeared willing to entertain lots of different policies, uh, but uh, the the House Republicans and the people who he appointed to his administration, who came out of that. Uh, same uh, conservative milieu uh, were not willing to entertain uh, many Democratic ideas on policy. Yeah, yeah. Again, the 313-577-1019 is the number. On the phones, let's go to Kathy in Ferndale. Kathy, welcome to mm-hmm. Detroit Today. Hi, thank you. Um, oh, it just seems to me that uh, it is, um, oh, it's a cycle. Right, it's a cycle that's been going since I've been aware of politics back in '76 with um, President Carter, who talked then about conserving an energy crisis. And what is it? I don't understand what it is about Americans that don't want to believe that we may have to conserve. You know that that, that the world is not there for our teaching. But it was him, and then followed by Reagan, who just unleashed everything, and, you know, everything is good, let it all go, we shouldn't say no to anything, let's have it all. And then, again, comes uh, Clinton, right? I mean, it just seems to be a cycle of conserve, let's let keep everything um, in order, and budget, and, and then it's followed by four or eight years of undoing all of that. Yeah. And it, it's, it's a terrible yeah. So, so Kathy, when you, when you go and vote, then for instance, um, are, are you casting your vote thinking that you'll get actual policy results, or are you just trying to counteract the sort of back and forth that? that no, no I, I'm not trying to counteract. I'm trying to do what I think is correct. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does seem very hypocritical too, like the whole liberal and conservative thing. Like I don't. I'm a Democrat. I don't consider myself liberal. I don't believe that taking care of our society is necessarily a liberal point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kathy, uh, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts there, and I think that that reflects some of the some of the frustration that voters have with the, the phenomenon that uh, that Matt Grossman is pointing out there uh, in the article. Thanks very much again for the call and the thoughts. Let's go to Tom in St. Clair Shores. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi there, Steve. How are you? Good. How are you? Great. Um, I'm really curious about what your guest thinks about how this political spectrum has been impacted by the lifting of the fairness doctrine. I know that since that time, we have just continually seen a, a shift, a gradual shift to the right, 
uh, as years and decades have gone by. But, but I think that with Trump, it's very hard to see the, the, the political spectrum in a linear fashion anymore. But I am curious about what your guest would, uh, would uh, say about how the Fairness Doctrine might have impacted uh, the way the political spectrum looks today. Great question. Thank you uh, for the call there, uh, Tom. Uh, Matt Grossman, uh, what do you think about that? I think it's it, all, lots of things have small effects, um, but I think it, it's it's oversold uh, that conservative media uh, rose only in response to the the fairness doctrine. Uh, conservatives uh, have had an advantage in in talk radio since the 1950s mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in terms of uh, lesson, listenership and uh, programs. Uh, those have accelerated uh, more uh, with uh, with Fox News's uh, development in in television uh, more uh, than just with the the fairness doctrine in the late uh, 1980s. Uh, it's also been true uh, for a long time that conservative elites have uh, been more resistant uh, to the mainstream media uh, serving as kind of independent arbiters between the parties uh, and have always wanted to to create. Uh, a consistently ideological uh, alternative. I think that relates to to something uh, the previous caller said, which is that she's a Democrat but doesn't necessarily consider herself uh, a liberal. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is much more common (laughs) in the Democratic Party than it is in the Republican Party. Uh, Conservatism is actually more popular uh, than uh, Republican uh, identification. Uh, So you see the kind of opposite uh, dynamic there, uh, where people uh, may say that they're uh, committed uh, to their viewpoint point in a battle with liberalism more than that they're committed uh, to the the party itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Tom, thanks very much for the call and the, the interesting thoughts there. Uh, let's go to John in Oxford. John, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, uh, I've been listening to the conversation, and I'm not quite sure why we don't ever bring up the fact that conservatism doesn't solve anything as, as it is as stated today. Uh they have no answer for guns. They have no answer for the opioid crisis. They have no answer for why our schools and roads in Michigan are failing or why our water is bad. I mean, it's just, it's not the conservatism that I grew up with, with uh, Milliken and the conservative party in the past, the Republican side. Mm-hmm. Unless the, although all they want to do is just watch and just uh, not solve problems. If that's their answer, I guess they're doing a really good job. But I don't like all the answers the Democrats have, but I'm still waiting for the Republicans to solve any problem. Yeah. John, I think that's a there's, that's a really interesting way to look at it. Matt Grossman, uh, talk about that dynamic that, that the Republican Party uh, has gotten away for a long time with uh, sort of an agenda of negation. Um, this idea that uh, let's, let's just keep taxes low and not not uh, get into uh, policy areas that that people are concerned about, but it it seems to work oftentimes uh, with voters who say they are concerned about those issues. Uh, There's sort of a disconnect there, right? That's right. Uh, Democrats uh, see policymaking as a series of separable issues, uh, which each have a a constituency and a problem to be solved. uh, And uh, they want to go about uh, debating potential solutions uh, with uh, Republicans on those issues. And they face a a party uh, on the right uh, that doesn't see policymaking at all in those terms, that sees policymaking as an overall uh, battle about uh, what kind of society we want to uh, live in and the role that government uh, should play in it. 
uh, and uh, it's very hard uh, for those two visions uh, to meet. Uh, where they tend to meet historically uh, is that uh, the, the pr- we have policies that are designed to achieve Democratic goals through Republican means. Uh, so uh, we tend to advance uh, the size and scope of government, but try to incorporate uh, markets, but try to incorporate state and local uh, control over federal control. Uh, but uh, try to use the tax code uh, rather than direct uh, government spending. Mm-hmm. Um, but all those policies tend to have uh, Democratic proponents uh, and win over a few Republicans uh, rather uh, than the reverse. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, though, the Republican Party has been moving rightward, uh, and so they're less willing uh, to make those compromises than they have been in the past. Yeah. Okay, Matt Grossman, director of Michigan State University's Institute for Public Policy and Social Research. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, the community service of Wayne State University. We'll see you tomorrow.